Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good morning, Grace Hill. Good to see all of you. My name's Alan, one of the pastors here. So if uh, you're new and we haven't met, we'd love to meet you in the lobby afterwards. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. So Gospel of John's fourth book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll see John, and we'll be in the second chapter again this morning. We'll read that in a few moments, Um, but I want to take a few moments to set up the passage that we are going to read this morning. I want you to be fully ready with context and everything so that when we read this passage, you're, you're ready to understand what we're going to witness Jesus do this morning. Um, this week, as we had another uh, anniversary of 9-11, you know, I was just reflecting, I think, as many of us do, on all that has changed in our world since that day. Um, and one of those big things, right, is obviously security. I mean, who remembers the days when you could just park at the airport, walk in with them, go straight to the plane, and see them off right through the jet bridge, and then if you're picking someone up from the airport, you could walk to the gate, and you could greet them right off the plane. Like, who's ever done that before, right? Like, who's before 2001, right? So, obviously, that has all changed. There's an entire generation that has no idea what we're talking about, right? Because that has changed, We realized that we needed to make some changes in order to restrict access to the terminal. And only certain people could have access to that terminal. And so you had to meet those requirements. And so what we did as a country, right, obviously, we we established a massive institution, right? And that institution would be the Department of Homeland Security. Obviously, the TSA massively expanded because we now needed more security. We needed to restrict access to this particular place. And so what happens is we build an institution, and that institution is designed to restrict access, to make sure only certain people come in, and we're keeping other people out. But whenever you build an institution like that, you need people to manage that institution, do you not? And so we have all of these people now who manage that institution, and I promise you, whenever you get people involved managing an institution, there's going to be people who say, ooh, I can make money through this. There's a demand for something, easy access, There's an institution blocking that. I could make some money by offering easy access, right? So now you've got things like TSA PreCheck, which is worth every penny, by the way, or Clear. I'm not sure. I've never tried Clear Um, or anything like that, right? You, You can now pay money to have easier access to where we are restricted. Now, with that concept in mind, I want us to set something up for you, biblically speaking, so that we're prepared when we read our text from John chapter two. So I want you to think of the Garden of Eden. This garden is the place where mankind had unrestricted access to God, like in person, could talk to God, could be with God, all of those different things. And so obviously something happens 
we sin against God. Um, we do something, mankind does something that demonstrates that we don't trust God to be God. We don't trust God in his word when God gives us instruction, commands, when he gives us his word, we don't trust that. And so God says, I need to restrict access, right? I've I've gotta put something into place that's going to not allow them to be near me because they don't trust me. And so what happens is, in the end of Genesis 3, is God exiles man from the garden. He says, you're out, and he puts something into place that would be this angel, and that is designed, or the whole passage is designed to help you understand that God has put something into place that you will not be able to conquer or overcome, and you will not be able to gain access back to him. It would be impossible. But we have a God who's gracious and good, and wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And so what God does in the Old Testament is he puts an institution in place. And by institution, I mean a, a common practice. He puts a institution in place that's designed to restrict access, but allow some access to himself. This is what he does in the Old Testament. And so here, let me just, in one minute, I'll describe the institution. God says, I'll come back and be near my people, but I'm gonna be in a temple, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be inside of a temple. And so if you wanna come to the temple, if you wanna draw near to me in order to worship me, then you're gonna have to bring sacrifices, animals, grain, different things that you can read about in Leviticus, you're gonna need to bring these sacrifices because these sacrifices are a way of you communicating to me that you understand you're a sinner and you understand that you have disobeyed my word and you wanna repent of that and you want atonement for that. And so we would bring these sacrifices and a a priest would take the sacrifice and, and kill it and it would be atonement for your sins so that you could draw near to God around the temple and so that God would stay in the temple and not leave. So we have this institution designed to restrict access but allow some access to God. Now, wherever you have an institution, you need people to manage that institution, do you not? So you have the Levites. So God has the, the, this priestly tribe, right? The Levites who are called to, instructed by God, to manage temple operations. You have the priests who are called. They, their job is to take the sacrifices and actually run and operate the whole worship system at the temple. And so you have this group of people, the priests. You have this religious class. Right, And this religious class is there to, to make sure that the institution is doing what it needs to do to keep certain people out and allow certain people in. And wherever you have people managing an institution, there are going to be people who are gonna say, I could make some money off of this. And so what you had around the temple is you had people, you had merchants, you had businesses start up. 
right? Because there was a demand. People wanted to worship God, but they needed certain things to worship God. They needed animals. And if you were traveling from far places to get to the temple to offer sacrifices, it's really difficult to travel with those animals, and it would be a lot easier just to buy them right there, right at the temple gates. And so you would have merchants who would establish themselves, and you could buy animals and grains and all the kind of different things that you needed in order to do temple sacrifices. You also had money changers. So in Exodus chapter 30, uh, you had to pay a temple tax when you came to offer sacrifices. It was a half shekel, okay? That's what you would pay. Now, people would come from all over different, all kinds of different places, and that may not be the currency that they had, so they would have money changers. Now, whenever you have a money changer, man, someone's trying to make a lot of money, all right? I mean, I travel quite a bit, and yes, you have to change currency a lot, and you need to be smart about how you change currency. All right, if you want to change currency in another country, the worst place to do it is the kiosk in the airport. Like, that's the worst rate you're going to get. They are making a ton of money off of you. Like, don't do it. All right? And so when we go to the Dominican Republic, for example, because uh, we go there a lot, a partnership that we have down there, I'm not going to lie, there is a liquor store that we've identified that gives us the best rate. We can change our money there, and we don't really lose anything. They don't make much, and so we just always, we always take the teams, and we like park at this liquor store, and everyone's like, what are we doing here? It's like, we're just changing money. It's the best spot to do it. Well, you had people like that at the temple. You had to pay your temple tax. That was part of God's law, God's word. And so you had money changers there who were there to make a little profit off of people needing to change their currency. All right, so this was what was going on at the temple so that people could worship God and draw near to God. All right, so let me just give you a quick graphic, uh, graphic recap here. So we have God. I just put it as a triangle, Trinity, easy symbol. Okay, you have God. We wanna be near him, but we can't. There's, there's restricted access. So God puts an, an institution into place to restrict access. This is the temple sacrificial system. But whenever you need to have an institution, you need people to manage it. So now we have a religious class of people and their job is to make sure certain people get in and certain people don't get in and to operate the whole thing. But whenever you got people involved, you're gonna get a little bit of corruption, you're gonna get a little bit of greed, and so now we have an entire economic system built around the temple that made it so that only certain people really were able to fully worship God in the way that they were called to do. This was the institution that was in place in the Old Testament. So let's just stop right here for a second. Keep that up, if you don't mind, for just a few minutes. Because you might look at this and go, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. You know? Like, f f first of all, I, I kind of sometimes feel like church and spirituality and religion is just a business, a way to make money. You know, preachers profiting off of people, worship profiting off of people, 
Um, maybe you have preachers that manipulate their people to give and give and give so they just can enrich themselves or, you know, it's just easy now. Everyone wants a platform on social media. Everyone wants a big following and it, it kind of can just feel like a way of building a business. It's kind of an economic engine and that doesn't settle well with us. And so maybe we're like, yeah, I can see how that happens. And two, of course, there's a religious class of people who are going to profit off that if that is what they want to do. Or maybe you feel like that, yeah, there is pastors and they're like the professional Christian and they're the ones that are close to God. And so I have to impress them or go through them if I wanna be close to God. I've, I've, I've said this before um, in other sermons. Like, it's, it's so interesting as I, because I'm a pastor, as I interact with people in the community, whether it's at the gym that I go to or my kids' baseball teams or whatever it is just around, when people find out that I'm a pastor, they all of a sudden apologize for their behavior. As if that I have some sort of way of restricting or letting them close to God, like I'm part of the religious class. So maybe that, maybe you're like, yeah, I, I can understand that. Or maybe you just feel like, man, I can just never get my act together and do the things that I need to do to be close to God. Man, I just have such a hard time reading the Bible. It's so boring, and so I, but I know I'm supposed to do that, and so God must be disappointed with me, or whatever the thing that we put on the list that these are the things I need to do to, to get close to God. Maybe, you, maybe that's your impression of God and Christianity, something just like this. And so today, what we're gonna see in John chapter two is we're gonna see Jesus encounter that. And he's gonna do something about it. And so I want us to see it, right? We're in the middle of a series, or we just started last week, called Stories of Belief. We're looking at these seven stories of Jesus in the Gospel of John, these seven signs that Jesus gives. We're just asking the question through looking at these, who is Jesus, what is he about, and why should I believe in him? And so what I want us to see as we jump in this morning again is what does Jesus do when he encounters this institution? So if you have a Bible, John chapter two, starting in verse 13. Says this, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was in Galilee, so he actually traveled south to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is on the holy mountain of the Lord, so you always go up to Jerusalem no matter the direction, all right? Just little Bible uh, uh, trivia for you right there. All right, so we went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there <laughs> and making a whip of cords, bull whip, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons because they were in cages and couldn't fly away, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, this is Psalm 69, 9, 
Zeal for your house will consume me. Yeah, they saw zeal there. Let's stop there for right now. Verse 17. Two important things that Jesus is doing here. Number one, of course, he approaches the temple and he sees the economic engine that's going on around this temple and he's like, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. And so he disrupts, obviously, everything that's going on there outside of the temple. But I also want you to see how here in the Gospel of John, Jesus focuses here, the way John writes this story, Jesus focuses on driving out the animals with a whip. And that seems really violent, right? Like, this is violent, Jesus, cracking a whip. What do, we, what do we do with this? Well, it's interesting. The Gospel of John is the only gospel that records Jesus doing this with a whip. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this story. But John records it differently than the other three. And it, different in a couple of different ways. So first of all, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, all right? Um, those three gospels put this story at the end of their gospel, just before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. While John puts this at the beginning of his gospel. Now, don't let that trip you up. You have to understand that all four gospel writers are writing an, eye, an eyewitness account of Jesus, but they're doing it years after Jesus ascended to be with the Father, and they all have different themes and points that they're trying to bring out for their reader to understand. And John especially is not trying to give you a chronological timeline of Jesus' ministry. He's trying to give you a thematic timeline of Jesus' ministry here on earth. So he does it a little differently. And what's interesting about the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is they really focus on the injustice of the business around the temple. Okay, I want you to see Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 17. This is Mark writing this very incident. He's, uh, this is Jesus, all right? He's in the middle of clearing out the temple. Mark does not record that Jesus is using a whip. And in Mark eleven seventeen, 17, Jesus says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, Isaiah 56, 7, but you have made it a den of robbers, Jeremiah 7, 11. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is quoted using these two texts from the Old Testament because he's focusing on the fact that people are being defrauded and people are being restricted from the temple based off of their economic status and Jesus wasn't having it. But John doesn't focus on that. He focuses on something different than the synoptic gospels. He focuses on the entire institution. And so what John's focusing on is not just Jesus driving out the traders and, and the, uh, the people making money off of this, he focuses on Jesus driving out the animals, which is why he has a whip in John. It's not that he's cracking people, 
right? He's scaring the animals away from the temple. He's driving the animals away from the temple because John is trying to show you at the very beginning of his gospel that Jesus is here to take down the entire institution. Not just the traitors, not just the religious class, but the institution itself that would restrict you from being able to worship God. And so what we see Jesus doing here is he is giving a sign. Just like how he changed the water to wine last week and what that meant, this is the same thing. Jesus is doing something here that is a picture. It's a foreshadow of what he will accomplish through the cross. All right, and that must have been really clear that Jesus was giving a sign or that Jesus was trying to show that his purpose is to dismantle the institution because if we go back to our text, John chapter two, pick it back up in verse 18. It says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Like, why are you doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple So what I mean by dismantle, I mean destroy. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it back up in three days. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, later on, his disciples remembered that he said this. They remembered this moment. And they believed the scripture. So there, when it says the scripture, it means the Old Testament scriptures that they had. They believed the prophecies about this and the word that Jesus had spoken. So when they saw the resurrection, they knew, oh, remember when Jesus cleared out the temple? This is what he was doing. And the sign that Jesus had dismantled the institution, that Jesus had destroyed it altogether, would be the resurrection itself. All right? So let's dig in so we can understand this. As I said in the beginning, God wants to be with us. God longs for his relationship with you would be like the garden. He's not okay with restricted access. He's not okay with distance. God longs to be with his people. So so he put this into place right here. But this was temporary. And the scriptures tell us that this was temporary, that in fact, the very purpose of this was to show us how corrupt we really are to show us the depths of our sin and what it really means when we distrust God's word, to show us that even things like animal sacrifices were not gonna fix the problem. Even things like religious ritual and tradition and disciplining ourselves to do all of the right religious things, it's not enough to make us right with God and to show us that if he even put an institution in place like that, that was all of this religious stuff you needed to do, that we were just gonna corrupt it and make money off of it anyway. 
It was temporary. It was not God's original plan. God's ultimate plan, which, by the way, don't miss what was said in verse 22 when it said that the disciples saw the resurrection and believed what the scriptures had said. What that is saying is they saw the resurrection and believed the prophecies that said that the temple institution was not permanent and that one day there would be something new. They believed that. And so God's ultimate plan from from all of time has been to send us a savior because this or that temple institution that was there is never going to be enough to make us right with God. And so when Jesus clears the temple, he's foreshadowing what the cross is going to do. The cross is going to destroy the temple, figuratively. All right, figuratively, right? Through the cross, Jesus is going to destroy the institution that's designed to regulate access to God. All right, so Hebrews talks about this. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm gonna read a few selected verses here, starting in verse nine. It says, then he said, this is Jesus, look, I have come to do your will. So Jesus came to do the will of God. What is that? He cancels the first covenant, the first institution, in order to put the second into effect. This is what Jesus was talking about, raising it up in three days. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Verse 12, Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And so what we see that the cross of Jesus Christ does, what it does is it is the single sacrifice that atones for all sins, for all people who would place their trust in Jesus. It atones for all of their sins once, and it's good for all time. The institution is destroyed. It is no longer needed because Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice. His blood is enough. That's why in Matthew 27, 51, at the point of the death of Jesus, the gospel writers record that the curtain that separated people from God in the temple was torn in two. The temple is destroyed. Let me show you a way to think about this. So if we put the institution back up, right? Here's the institution. Everything's designed to restrict access, right? You have the religious class in place. You have the economic engine all around it. It's all about restricting access. But at the point of Jesus' death on the cross, here's what happens. Ooh, God's not there anymore. Hey, that institution kept going, by the way. Oh, the temple sacrifices, they kept rolling. You know what I mean? To, to, for people to draw near, the religious class, the priests, they were all still there. The economic engine was still rolling. People were making money. But that's not how you got close to God anymore. God wasn't there anymore. And so the question is, how do you get close to God? What does it mean? Where did God go? 
Our text says that three days after the cross, Jesus would build a new temple, the temple of his body. He would rise from the grave, and now there's a new institution that is in place. John would later say in chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus recording saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has dismantled the old institution, and therefore what that means is that the religious class is powerless. They got no say on who gets to come close to God and who doesn't get to come close to God. If the economic engine is done, because there's now a new way that we come close to God. We can be with God for all of eternity if we recognize, right, that we have not trusted in God. We have not trusted in his word and we place our trust in what Jesus did through the cross and when we do that, we are given access to God. I mean, Hebrews would even say that we can now, in Christ, boldly approach the throne of grace. You know what, so if you had, put the, put the diagram back up, Leland, if you don't mind. Yeah, so that would be like just some guy rolling in, pushing past the, the money traders, pushing past the religious class, pushing the priests aside, right? No sacrifices, uh, just kind of completely disregarding all decorum, breaking every custom, and just going straight into the Holy of Holies, moving the curtain aside, and praying there before the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, everyone would be appalled. But the writer of Hebrews says, we now can boldly approach the throne of grace, every single one of us, because in Christ, we now have access to God. And this is what Jesus was doing when he took that bullwhip. You know, this isn't just like, oh, angry Jesus. This is Jesus showing, I'm not gonna be violent towards people. I'm going to be violent against the institution that restricts people from having access to God. He drove the animals out. So in, in light of what Jesus has done to dismantle the first institution, I just wanna be clear on three things. I want all of us to be clear on three things. Number one, you do not need to perform for God to have access to God. That is the old way of doing things. Jesus has dismantled that old way. The only way to God is in and through Jesus. And what he has done for us and what he did on the cross, that is the only way. That is the final sacrifice. That is the final religious work that gives us access to God. You do not need to perform for God to have access to God. Here's number two. You do not need to perform for people to have access to God. Jesus dismantled the religious class in that moment. There are not people that stand as gatekeepers between you and God. You have access to God in and through Jesus. He alone is your mediator. And so with, with those two things in mind, those two things I wanna be clear on, I want you to understand this. We have two different options 
on how we could conduct ministry here at Grace Hill Church, or really any church for the matter. Two options, right? Option number one would be believing that, yes, I, I, I do need to perform for God, and I do need to perform for people in order to be close to God. And although that is heresy right there within itself, it is so easy to think about church and ministry in those terms. It is so easy to live it out in those terms, right? There are things that I must do for God to be happy with me, right? I've got to read my Bible. I've got to watch my mouth. I've got to watch my behavior. I gotta make sure I show up to church. I gotta make sure that I share my faith. I gotta make sure that I put money in the offering plate. And we kinda have an unspoken list of things That if we're doing those, I feel good about my faith. If I'm not, I don't know if I feel good about my faith. We feel like we have to perform for God to be close to him. And we also feel like we have to perform for other people. Like the church can't be the place where I share where I'm really struggling. The church can't be the place where I admit my faults and my sins. The church can't be the place where I'm struggling to believe in God or express my doubts or my questions because that would show that I'm not close to God. And so it's kind of like a ministry model where, to use some of Jesus' words, we're like this dish, this cup, right? I thought of this in my um, office because I was sitting there and I bring smoothies into the office every morning in like this little Yeti. And sometimes they, when I'm done, it sits there for a few days. I know, it's gross. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, the outside of the Yeti is clean. It looks nice, it's shiny, silver, but the inside is nasty. Mildewy, moldy, gross. I, the reason why it sits there is I don't wanna wash it. And it's like the ministry model is that. As long as I appear good, as long as I do the things that I think I need to do to be close to God, I'm good. So I can can clean the outside of the cup, but the inside we're not going to address. But the other ministry model, the other way of engaging in church could be like this. Well, I don't I don't have to perform for God to be close with God. Jesus has secured that. I don't have to perform for other people to be close to God. And so, and God calls us to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so this can actually be a place where I don't have to worry about the outside of the cup. We can address what's inside. This this is a place where I can actually admit my sin and my struggles because me admitting that does nothing about my relationship with God. It it doesn't push me away further. It doesn't bring me in closer. Jesus has already done what is needed for me to be close to God. If I see this place as a place to actually engage with the areas where Jesus is seeking to change and transform and heal and grow me, this is a place that I can do that because We love one another the way Christ has loved us. And so this isn't a place where we have to perform for other people. But I tell you what, that sounds so good, but we all default to the first. If we're not intentional about doing it the second way, 
We default to the first way. We follow Jesus according to the first institution, not the second. We default to it. If we don't put actual effort into following him and actually address the inside of the cup. And so that's exactly why here at Grace Hill Church, we try to create environments where we are specifically studying God's word. We're trying to know God, draw near to God, understand who he is and what he's done for us in and through Christ. And we try to have environments where it is safe to address what's going on inside the cup. And that if we're faithful over here to study God's word and understand it, then we can bring that with us over here when we're sharing what's going on inside of us so that we can minister the word of God to one another. And it's really easy to create environments to study, but it's really hard to create environments to address the inside of the cup. And we have to be intentional about it. And we have to put effort towards it. And when we do, it always feels like we're wading upstream. Because it's hard for us to believe that I don't have to perform for God to be close to God, and I don't have to perform for people to be close to God. Everything in us says it's not true. It's not true. And so we try to create those environments here. And that leads me to my third point, and that's this. The third thing I want us to be clear on is you have to trust Jesus to have access to God. We have to trust that he really did dismantle the old way. And trusting Jesus means following Jesus, trusting that his word and his way is good and it's right, right? There's, there's no such thing as trusting in Jesus and seeing him as the way, and then being okay with sin, or excusing sin, right? There's no such thing as doing that. And that's exactly why we wanna create these environments where we can learn about who God is, and then we can address what's inside of the cup because we're standing on the grace of Jesus Christ who has made a way for us to have access to God, and because we love Jesus and what he's done for us, we wanna live live according to his ways. We wanna experience life when I'm not under the power of that sin. I wanna experience life when I'm trusting my Father in heaven and everything that he told me to do. I wanna experience the Garden of Eden because I trust that God is good. You have to trust in Jesus to have access to God. Jesus did not make a way to God open for Everyone, he made it open to those who would trust in him. And so it just makes me wonder in this room, and band, if you guys want to come up, you can. How many of us, I have two questions, how many of us need to admit that, man, I think I follow God according to the first institution? and not according to what Jesus did. Because I am constantly exhausting myself and stressing myself out and criticizing myself because I know I'm always falling short of the standard that I have put in place to impress God and to impress others as my gauge on how I'm doing with Jesus and with God. And I'm just wondering who in here needs to let go of the first institution. Like, let Jesus take a bullet to it, because that's what he did. 
We have access to God in and through Jesus, and it is Jesus alone. And if that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, like that's a little too gracious, that's a little too good, well, that's the gospel of Jesus. And my second question is, I just wonder who in here or listening online needs to trust in Jesus for the first time. And maybe you've distanced yourself from the church or you've distanced yourself from Jesus or religion because you've just always assumed that first institution, that's just the way it goes. And that it's a corrupt institution. But Jesus dismantled it. And what it means to follow Jesus is to trust what he has done for you so that you can be right with God and you can experience the joy and the peace that it is of following Jesus for the rest of your days. And so if that's you, I, my encouragement to you is to, and I said this last week, stick with us through these seven signs as we go through the Gospel of John, these seven passages, and just use this as an opportunity to explore who Jesus is and what he's about and what it means to follow Jesus. And if you have questions, ask your questions. Like, we'd love to help you on that journey. So I wanna pray, and I just wanna pray specifically for those in here who need to let go of that first institution. Let's pray. God, there's something inside of us that makes it really hard to believe that we are safe and secure in Jesus. That Jesus has secured our souls for all of eternity. That he really was the final sacrifice that's good for all time. That the first institution was really dismantled. It's hard for us to believe that. God, if there's anyone in this room who following Jesus has just been exhausting to them because they believe they need to impress you and they need to impress others to be close to you. God, I, I pray in this very moment your spirit would free them of that. That they would actually take a breath and experience what it means to rest in Jesus. Just as we sit here in this moment of prayer, and that's you. If you trust in Christ, I want you to know that he's got you. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. God wants to be with you. And Jesus has done everything that is needed, everything that is required for you to be welcome in that space. So you don't have to hide there anymore. You don't have to cover yourself. You'd, 
You don't have to make excuses for yourself. You, you can enjoy the rest and the security that comes in Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would minister that truth to people in this room this morning. Jesus, help us to be a place that ministers that rest to one another. Where we love each other in the way that you've loved us. We need your help. But help us to be a place that ministers the true gospel of Jesus to weary people. Jesus' name.